Welcome to the Kelly and the Encouragers podcast with your host, Kelly Sisson, wife, mother, therapist, and hippie at heart who loves Earl Grey iced tea, deep conversations, and encouraging others. If you need a little encouragement today, you are in the right place. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to another episode of Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. This is your host, Kelly Sisson. And on today's show, I have Angela Hosking. She is the author of the book, Woman on Top, Lead Like a Lady Boss. Angela is not only knowledgeable and wise, but she's kind and has a fantastic way to be able to teach us as women how to own our value, own our worth, and own what we bring to the table. What I love about her message is that it's not just about supporting other women. It is, but it's also about just learning how to support a community as a whole and how even men can help support women in the workplace. You know what's really great too is that Angela has a fantastic perspective of how to lead and you can tell just listening to her and when I was meeting with her that she has such a passion to literally change this world and I believe that she's going to be able to do it with this book. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Thank you, Angela, for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I'm thrilled for you to be here as well. And this is fun that we're using Zoom so we can actually see each other. It's like we're sitting down in the same room. I always love that. So um, (laughs) thank you for being willing to do that as well. So I'm wondering, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. Well, my name is Angela Hosking. And I'm a leader, a speaker, and author. Um, My book, Woman on Top, Lead Like a Lady Boss, just came out this past May. And I'm a person who's very much um, passionate and empowered to help other women find their personal power in both their professional and personal lives. Yes, that's a fantastic summary. And I'm noticing a little bit of a Southern draw. So can you tell, (laughs) (laughs) you're from South Carolina, is that right? I live in North Carolina. North Originally, Carolina. I'm from Florida, but I've been here for 17 years. So yes, you may hear a y'all come out. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> occasionally. I love or bless that. your heart. Yes, absolutely. I actually, I live in North Dakota now, but I'm from Illinois and I, we've been here about six years now and you do pick up accents from where you are unintentionally. Absolutely. You know, years later, you're like, hmm, you say something like that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> so it definitely happens. But I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit more about your book? Sure, sure. Well, my background is as a healthcare executive. Um, about a little over 15 years ago, I started on a journey of healthcare leadership, um, various roles, starting out as a um, either a, a supervisor level or someone on a unit-based council. And as I grew and developed into my career and became um, the manager of people, the boss of people, um, my first manager role, I had over 100 direct reports. Ooh. And well, yeah. That's a lot. Well, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> 36 bed inpatient unit, um, 24 seven operations. And, you know, often people wonder, um, in, in healthcare, um, if you're clinical, does that mean that you, um, automatically become a leader in the sense of the word of knowing how to manage people? And mm-hmm. oftentimes in healthcare, it's, it's not that way. You are a, a great nurse and, and you have a, a, a charge nurse personality and they say, Hey, now you get to manage a $7 million budget and a hundred people. Right. <laughs> and so, when I walked into that very eyes wide open and excited, rosy colored glasses to lead people, um, I quickly found that there was a lot more to that skill um, than met the eye. And as I increased my own knowledge and experience, I was really looking for 
uh, resources and books to sort of guide me through that process. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of great leadership books, but very few were written by women. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the messaging that I received back in the day then was, well, Ange, in order to be a successful leader, you're going to need to lead like a man. And uh, I really found that the thought gender specific um, or, or at least gender, gender tendencies sure. were really those things that I brought to the table as a woman. And that's what made me successful. Um, ultimately, that team, um, when I first got there, was, was very broken. It had a 30% vacancy. It wasn't a happy team. Mm. And when I left four and a half years later, they were a, a very high-performing team, um, you know, no, no vacancies and just the kind of team that you would want taking care of your family. So um, I really wanted to put together a book, a guide. I'm tactical. I want somebody to tell me exactly what to do, uh, exactly what mistakes, uh, you know, that I made. And believe me, I made plenty, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that maybe they might not make those mistakes. And so I really felt that that, that messaging and that voice um, needed to come through. Yes. And as a nurse, I'm a scientist, I'm a, I'm a researcher. So I put the science behind um, in each of the chapters, how we women, what we bring to the table in that particular skill set that is more gender specific to women. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, I love so many things you said. Now I'm like, okay, let's dissect it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, you are so accurate about so many things. I think that um, especially in in leadership positions or in positions that we just. Um, Let's see, how, would, how do I want to word this? That we would view as like higher positions in general, whether it's in a leadership role or not. Um, there, It's very often a male-dominated field. And so um, I think that uh, women do bring in a different perspective. And not that male or female you know, views or, or anyone's individual views are right or wrong, but I do think that everyone brings something to the table that should um, really be valued and appreciated. So I love that you're able to um, grasp onto that and that you're able to see that it was so different. Well, and um, even in healthcare, you know, pri- primarily in uh, middle management and below, and 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 in the um, the the teammates, it's mostly women. Yes. And then you get to a certain level, and and as a woman leader, you look up and see it's mostly men. Right. And that's not un- uncommon in other industries, uh, but but primarily in a female-driven industry, it does make you pause and wonder. Okay, so what are we um, what are we needing to do to help women to feel comfortable? Uh, breaking through that glass ceiling or um, encouraging them to 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 break through that glass ceiling. And then what do we need to ask from our male partners to uh, help us get there? Right. Because to your point, uh, having a diverse leadership team really brings different um, eyes to the table and helps us to solve problems that we didn't even know were there. Right. Um, and and I, I think, you know, oftentimes um, a woman leader, if she's uncomfortable leading that task or that charge of sitting at the table or pulling up and, and, um, you know, bringing her views to light, then they never get heard. Right. Absolutely. You know, I was um, talking with someone the other day, one of my um, friends about this idea of um, women being really humble, you know, like this idea that we're humble is often misused. And so what a lot of times I think people mean is being like meek and meager and not being willing to accept the value that we do bring or the things that we are able to, um, able to do and just honoring our own worth. I wonder, have you found that in leadership that that has been a challenge for you? It's, it's, it's a challenge and, and it's a, it can be perceived as a weakness, but it can also be a strength. Mm -hmm. And, um, let me expand on that a little bit. So yes, we women were culturally, socially, uh, at least in this country, raised to be collaborative, 
um, to be um, to, to step aside and don't don't let our lights shine too brightly because that might make us look like um, we're, we're you know um, selfish or right. uh, have a large ego, and um, oftentimes it's that stepping aside that that causes someone to you know not reach out or say something when when they need to be saying it. Um, but as a strength, I think that um, when we can learn to recognize. That, that we might have that tendency to step back or be a little more humble or be, be a little bit more um, caring about what the other party has to say, that's when you can also solve problems. Because yes. if you are walking into the room with a collaborative heart and mindset, um, it, you know, you each have an agenda, but you each want to get to the win-win situation. That's where the, the secret sauce can be. But yes, oftentimes women, that's, that's what may keep us, um, from breaking through that glass ceiling. I, I'm, I'm very quick to, to tell women sometimes we're our own worst enemies. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I often cite there's that Harvard business uh, study review that, you know, when it comes to applying for a role that men, um, only think that they need to have about 60% of the requirements and they go ahead and apply. And we women think we need to have a hundred percent of those requirements before we'll even consider it. And then we're even not sure. Right. (laughs) Right. So, (laughs) so if we're not willing to challenge our own self identity, um, and thought processes and societal constructs that we've been brought up to, um, either believe are true or, uh, our mindset believes is true, then, then we're not going to, we're not going to challenge ourselves to break through it as well. Yeah, yeah, that oh, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. And I love your perspective too of being able to see how um there is strength in both. There's strength and you know, owning what what you bring to the table and owning your worth, but also being humble enough to hear from other people how you can collaborate together. I mean, I get a sense from you that your main um, objective is just to really get everyone to sit down at the table and truly work together and have like honest communication. Is that, is that kind of. Absolutely. And that's the only way anything gets done or gets moved forward is uh, when everybody understands the why behind and they are both eager to figure out a, a solution. Yes. And that's, that's exactly my personality style. And that's my leadership style is um, just get everybody in the room and let's talk through, let the experts share what they know. Yep. Let's talk about what's the big picture for the organization or for the team. And then how do we best align with that? Yep. Absolutely. You know, this is um, slightly off topic. I'm just kind of curious your perspective of this. If someone's in an environment and they're, they feel like that's not an an option for them to bring some of their thoughts to those tables or maybe you know you're brought you're all brought to the table but really there's this idea that only certain people should speak or share their ideas how would somebody navigate that so i think that's where we as women can um align ourselves together to manage up and amplify the messages that we're speaking mm-hmm. um when you're sitting at a table and there's maybe one or two women or three women at a table um, full of, of male leaders, um, and you're trying to bring a diverse uh, topic, you know, to the table or your opinion, and um, you know your colleague, your female colleague, mentions something, and maybe it's dismissed, or um, another another male colleague will, you know, speak right over because women, we women, don't like to speak over mm-hmm. other people. Again, the polite good girl. Yep. Um, then that's when you can jump in and say, "Hey, I really want to, I really want to amplify what Mary just said because she had a really good point," yes. and bringing back the conversation um, to what Mary was trying to say, and, and you know that 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 um, supports yet directs politely, right? Uh So we want to be polite, but it also does make the point of, you know, Hey, you just ran over what she was saying and we really need to 
to listen to her perspective. Yeah, I love how you phrase that. I'm going to keep that right here <laughs> so that I can use that if I'm ever in a situation like that, because I think that's a really valid point. Even more so, um, even on just a personal level, personal professional level, I guess I should um, explain. I do find it even more frustrating when there are um, other women who maybe aren't as comfortable um, with themselves for whatever reason, no judgments there, but aren't as comfortable speaking up. And when you're somebody that is comfortable speaking up, like I know for me, um, my parents did a really great job in just building an appropriate level of confidence, of course, but um, a confidence to be able to to speak up and say when I have an idea or when I think that um, something you know, something might need to be addressed. And oftentimes, even with other women that might be met in a really negative way or might um, feel for whatever reason to them kind of um, frustrating. And so I'm wondering your thoughts on that too, when it is women that aren't necessarily supporting that. So I think that's probably my biggest platform push with um, my Her One Tribe and with my, with my messaging, my teaching, my coaching, my writing, is that um, we have to get out of the scarcity mindset, number one. Mm-hmm. I think that women have been uh, societally um, pushed to believe that we are all out to get each other or not supportive of one another. And I have found that to be absolutely the opposite. Mm-hmm. Now, with a rare few, right? Yep. There's always a rare few. Um, but I think that when you find yourself at a table with someone who is not speaking up and, and, you know, they may also be an introvert or someone Mm -hmm. who is a little bit uh, less self-confident that I always try to defer to them and say, tell us your thoughts on this, bring them into the conversation. Um, you know, not to put them on the spot, but to make them feel comfortable to, to, to share, or, you know, or do you have a different point of view or is there something you'd like to add to that? Um, just opening up that line of communication. But I think, um, you know, back to that women supporting women um, platform, I think that we have got to, especially in this day and age, do exactly what we need to be doing right now, which is connecting with other women and supporting them any way that we can. Because when one of us wins, we all win. Yes. When one of us rises up, you know, my my favorite saying is to say, we stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. And I lean back down and I pull somebody up with me. Because that. that is the way that we are going to get uh, 50% of the table time that we deserve as 50%. Actually, we're 51% of the of the population. Yes. Um, yes. Rather than our 6% or our 3%. Right. Um, and, and that's where change happens. And, and when you include the thought of, you know, what women need um, as uh, members of society, that it, um, you know, that's when the conversation is had. I, I have a, a funny story to tell you just an example of why you need diversity at the table. Um, In my healthcare executive role, we just built um, 150,000, or excuse me, 250,000 square foot new um, oncology center. And um, in the design plan um, at the table, and I'm at the table with many different, uh, mostly men, there was other women at the table, but I I mentioned that we really needed to put um, breastfeeding rooms in the building. And I remember a couple of the men turning to me and going, you know, oncology patients don't breastfeed. And I said, dude, <laughs> all of the women that work in the building are childbearing age. Right. They come to work and, get, and they, and, and the aha, he was like, oh my gosh, I would have never thought about that. Right. And um, just, you know, things like that to say, yep, you know, working mothers need, to, need a place to do that. And, and it's just, it's not that anyone's trying to leave people out or leave out that point of view. It's just, it doesn't ever 
it doesn't ever cross their brain. Right. Absolutely. I love that you um, point that out for sure. You know, there are certain things that you said, especially, um, you know, standing on the shoulders and reaching down. And I mean, I literally had chills when you were talking about that because what a powerful just visual of really the work that can be done. And um, I'm a huge supporter of women supporting women. That's part of the reason that I love this podcast, being able to, you know, highlight amazing things that other women are doing. I've had men guests as well, but I'm not, you know, I'm not unwilling uh, by any means. But I think it's just really great to be able to um, build those strong, supportive relationships. And I think another part of it, too, is when you have someone who is so for you and can see, like you said, that what's good for one of us is good for us all. And they're willing to have those hard conversations with you. It helps you grow as a person, which helps you to be able to then help support other women. So it's just like this amazing, instead of a vicious cycle, it's an amazing cycle that I think can really um, strengthen the world as a whole. Well, it, and the the whole reason why I started down this journey with the writing, I, I literally, you know, when I started out with the mindset of developing and writing a women's leadership book. Um, I started a blog, um, a little over four and a half years ago. I didn't even know what a blog was. Uh-huh. I just knew I had something to say and I really wanted to, to begin to engage, um, you know, other women who were, who were growing in leadership. And the funny thing was as that blog developed, what the questions that I was being asked or the pieces that were resonating were the ones about imposter syndrome and mean girls at work and how do I grow my confidence and how do I feel comfortable um, asking for a pay raise and how do I get my seat at the table? And so it wasn't so much the, um, and the leadership finessing and growing and coaching came later, but it was those core confidence questions. And I went, huh, like I've really tapped into something here because it, it really, those pieces started to go viral. And I was like, women are hungry mm-hmm. um, to self-educate and, and grow. They recognize that there might be a piece in them where they are not as comfortable mm-hmm. and wonder why uh, they are like that. You know, oftentimes I speak with women and they're like, gosh, when I was a, a little kid, I was this brave, you know, bold, heart on fire um, child. And I had all these dreams and somewhere along the way, I lost my confidence and why did that happen and how do I get it back? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And what a great way for you to be able to um, just really hear what people are wanting and being able to share that. That's amazing. I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit to us about imposter syndrome? Can you explain that for people who haven't heard of that? Absolutely. And it's funny because it's so common to me now that the, the, I am surprised when women have not heard of the term, but as soon as I describe what it is, they go, Oh, I got that. I got that. (laughs) Yes. So basically, um, it was it was um, it's it's a it's a phrase that was coined by two researchers, two psychological researchers called um, well they called it imposterism, but basically it is um, mostly among high achieving women. It is those feelings of that you really did not achieve what you've achieved by your own uh, results. It's really like happenstance or luck, or you may even feel like a fraud, or people are going to find out that I don't really know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and, and generally it's consistent, persistent feelings of, of insecurity of claiming what you've done despite evidence otherwise. And that's the key point right there. You know, I might, uh, tomorrow, you know, go onto a women's basketball team. I would be totally an imposter because I don't have the skill set <laughs> right. to play women's basketball. 
Um, but, you know, as a healthcare executive leader with two master's degrees and 15 years of experience and mm-hmm. leading teams, for me to walk into a room and feeling like, wow, I just need to fly under the radar because they're going to figure out I have no idea what I'm talking about mm-hmm. um, is, is it's limiting. Yes. It's limiting in my ability to solve problems. It's limiting in my ability to take risks. It's limiting in my ability um, to, to grow and advance my teams. And so really identifying and understanding, well, where, where does that come from? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, have a, I have a framework that I use, but um, the three core um, causes of imposterism feelings are decreased confidence, it's uh, increased perfectionism, and then decreased risky play. Mm-hmm. And risky play is one of those things, you know, we talked about the little bold girl that uh, each of us were is something that we learn as a child um, and are indoctrinated to uh, to learn where safe limits are and how we can um, take risks and still feel safe. And um, there was a study, uh, there's a great book called The Gutsy Girl, if you ever want to read oh, more yeah. about that. Um, but there was a study, the fire pole study done with a preschooler, little boys and little girls in a playground. Mm-hmm. And um, they watched, the researchers watched, the, uh, fi- they put a big giant fire pole in the, in the middle of the playground, and they watched how the parents spoke to the little boys and the little girls. So the little bro- girls were told, be careful, you might get hurt, let me help you with that, maybe that's too big for you, and what do you think the little boys were told? Right. You can do it, yeah. go get it, you don't need my help, figure it out. And so those constructs, as we are raising our daughters and our, as we are raised ourselves, and you know, no, we've all done it, right? I did right. it with my daughters as well too. Um, but being aware of, of how we are raising our daughters from that early age um, and maybe limiting their beliefs um, of what they can do is, is, is part of what starts this whole uh, cycle of, of growing up to be a perfectionistic imposter. Yes. My goodness. Yeah. What a good summary too. So helpful. Thank you for explaining that. Um, yeah. I, I love so many things that you said. And one thing too that I often will encourage people when they feel like they're the only one that has self-doubt, everyone has doubted themselves at some point. It just depends if you're actually willing to admit it or not. And so the majority of people have had moments where they feel that imposter syndrome or um, they feel, you know, concerned about their their lack of abilities or whatever that, however you want to word that. But um, I think that it's something that the majority of us go through at some point in our lives. And it makes sense to me that the higher up that you would get, like in a company or in positions in general, that that would increase. That makes so much sense. Well, I mean, and, and to talk about it, I, I still have feelings of imposterism all the time. Yeah. I mean, every time that I get to the next level in my career or I have an exposure that is unknown to me and new to me, I immediately go, oh, my gosh, you know, why would Kelly want to talk to me today on her podcast? Yeah. Um, and, and the initial because part about that. and awesome. But, you know, I mean. <laughs> but it's, it's yeah, just I get what you're honest, saying, though. Yeah. You know, the, more that we, the more that we all own up to it and say, Absolutely. hey, yep, I feel that way every single day. But here's what I do about it, Okay. So when those thoughts pop into my head, the first thing I do is I go, hello, thought, you're just a thought. You're a little bit excited. You're a little bit nervous. And let's look at the facts. And then we sit down and we look at the facts. Well, yes, you've done this and you've done this and you've done this. And if I don't know an answer, I know resources, you know, and to get rid of those perfectionistic ideas that you got to know everything and be 100 percent an expert on everything, which none of us are. Right. Um, And that's how you that's how you begin to chip away at it and just just to become aware of the thoughts, talk about it with your friends and colleagues. Um, look at the, the things that contribute to decreased confidence. Um, when was the last time you 
tried something new right. to uh, exercise that confidence muscle. I think one of the most um, aha moments uh, when I'm doing all of this research for the book and for what I write about and what I teach is uh, many of us think that um, in order to feel more confident, we just have to go, okay, I'm just going to say to myself, I'm more confident. Well, that doesn't work, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're saying it, you're, you're affirming it to yourself, but really what begets confidence is action. Yes. So taking a baby step and doing something that is unknown, new, or foreign then we'll beget the confidence. Absolutely. So you have to you have to talk yourself through that first step. You brave the step. You've learned something new, and then you build that confidence muscle. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. Uh, you know, I certainly would agree with that. And I think for for me, from personal experience, what I often do too is I remind myself of the things that I have gotten through. You know, um, I did this and it was scary. I was able to do, you know, I always go back to, I know this is going to sound silly, but like years ago, seriously, probably six, seven years ago now, more than that, eight, maybe I ran a half marathon. I never thought I was going to ever be able to do that, but I was like, I'm doing it. I'm just dead set on it. Uh, there was way more to it than that. I won't waste your time going into that. But, um, sometimes I do remind myself, you know, like at mile 10, you thought you were going to die at mile 11. You were like, forget this, but you kept running and you got through and you were able to do that. So if you can do that and you felt like you were going to die, you can have a hard conversation. You know, you can, you can do something scary. You can be interviewed. You can be whatever it is because you were able to get through that. And that does, I think, boost your confidence in that moment to remember. Yeah, I have done some things, you know. I tell women to keep a catalog of wins. Yeah. Uh, there's two ways you can do this. Um, I, uh, if you are an email person and you get an add a girl email or you have kudos for something, create a folder yes. and just slide them into that add a girl folder. I um, when I daily, when I daily journal in the morning, I look at, I, I write down two things that I did well the day before. Uh -huh. Um, so we are, we are wired to look for the gaps or the mistakes or yeah. the flubs and, um, training your brain to look for, Oh, you know, what went really well yesterday. I did this, right. um, and give yourself an add a girl. That's another way to kind of begin to see, um, and, and focus your brain on just like with gratitude journaling, focusing yes. your brain on the positives and the things that you've done well and reaffirm. And then I, I say journal, because if I go back and I look yes. at my journal a year ago or two years prior, I go, wow, look what I've done in the last year or two right. years, you know? And, and it really does help put into perspective the gains that you make. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that so much. Thanks for sharing those ideas. I, I would definitely recommend people to do that for sure. Hey guys, I'm just going to interrupt for one quick second. I wanted to make sure that you knew that we had an opportunity for you to partner with the Kelly and the Encouragers podcast community. Now, I want to be really clear. You are already a part of this community. But if you want to take things one step further, I would encourage you to go to Patreon. I don't know if you've heard of Patreon, but it truly is just a way for you to be able to collaborate with creatives and help to spread the word. And that is the goal of the Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. I really want to spread encouragement throughout the entire world. And the only way to do that is with your help. So if you would like to check it out, you can go to www.patreon.com backslash encouragers podcast. Now back to the show. You know, I even think about the other day I was having a really, really hard day. And I don't know if you know um, what Marco Polo is, but essentially it's like a video system that you can, um, it's kind of like Zoom, but just little um, short messages you send to one another. And uh, so one of my friends had sent a message of her daughter 
riding her bike all by herself with her helmet and like her little, you know, knee pads and everything. And it was like such a reminder, even in that really hard moment, like there is so much good, like her pure joy of riding her bike. It was just such it was well, first of all, I was very proud of her, obviously. But also I was like, what a fantastic reminder that in the midst of all of this kind of sucky stuff going on, that there is still so much good and so much happiness. And that was really cool to be able to see that. She was doing risky play. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> she, I don't know that from what her mom says, she doesn't have a lot of uh, things that stop her. So she's, yeah, I think think she'll be good with continuing on some of that for sure. But yeah, it was awesome. You know, I'm wondering, can you talk up a little bit about, you know, your women's empowerment and, you know, where did this passion really first begin? Did it begin when you started your role or was it even previous to that, would you say? Uh, I think it was previous to that, but I think I woke up um, four years ago in 2016 after the election Mm -hmm. and went, Oh my goodness, what are we women? Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? I thought I'm 52. I have two adult daughters. I thought, um, I was leaving this world in a place where I felt like women's equality was there. Mm -hmm. I really did. I was, I was sleeping apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I then uh, took this drive and I went, all right, if not me, then who? I'm, I'm a person. I'm a mom. I'm a, yes. a woman. I have a voice. I'm going to just start this this blog. And um, it, it took off. Took off. It was a hobby. Um, it was a outlet for me. And as um, the community started growing, I developed, I have an online community of more of a thousand, more than a thousand women in the Facebook group. Um, I had a lot of followers that were receiving my um, emails. Yeah. And as it continued to grow, I thought, all right, what's the next step? What do I need to do next? Well, I need to be able to teach, right? I need to, all these things that I've learned that I um, have developed this framework for and that I've, I, again, I'm a hacks person. I'm a, I'm a tactical person. Yes. I want to give you something that you can walk away with tomorrow that will begin to build that confidence and begin to help you um, have more self-awareness and how you can live your best life. And so I started teaching workshops and I started speaking. And, um, you know, after the book came out, then I, that provided me more opportunities to take that message elsewhere. So for me, it was what I didn't realize was what I think now is my life's work uh-huh. um, that was um, always in there, but just needed somebody to light the fire. Yes. And um, my daughters are 27 and 24. And I definitely think in the last two or three years, they've, they've been allowed to see their mother in a different light. Um, you know, they'll, they'll tease me and say, okay, just be my mom right now, not my self-help coach. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But, um, it, I think that they have definitely learned the lessons and it's given them, um, I I think they've grown and developed from it as well too. So, you know, I just say no matter where you are or, or what your passion is, find that passion because it. um, once I started fulfilling that bucket, with this type of work, I mean, I can, I, I just, it's happiness to me. It's pure yes. joy. And I get so much fulfillment out of it. I, you know, when someone sends me an email or writes me a letter, I'm so glad that you wrote this in the book. I was going through the situation and I didn't know other people did. I feel so much less alone now. I'm going to help so-and-so with this. And then the message just spreads, you know, yes. it's, it's like, it's like, you know, one candle can light can like millions. Yes, I I absolutely agree with that. And that's why I think it's so important for us to really find that passion that we have. You know, I'm curious what your thoughts are too. And like, how does somebody 
find, you know, what their main passion may be in life. Because sometimes it's not, it's not, you know, super obvious for us or, um, you know, like me personally being a social worker, I didn't know that's what I wanted to do my whole life. My sister literally was like, hey, you should be a social worker. And I said, what's that? And then I looked and I said, okay, that sounds cool. And then it turned into me this, this passion of mine that I am just, you know, so interested in. And I think that, um, it can happen like that, or sometimes we just always know, but I'm wondering, you know, what do you think? Like, how can people find that if they're just not real sure? I have three great questions that I asked to, to get, to lead people down that path. Number one, I start with was, what did you want to be when you were a little kid? Mm-hmm. And maybe that might be, you know, a firefighter or a nurse or something. I wanted to be a writer, which is hilarious because here I am 52 years later fulfilling what yes, I wanted to be. I love that. But what you had dreams and passion as, as a child. And then I asked them, what was the last greatest day that you just had? Like, what was a day that was so amazing professionally that your heart was on fire? Like you felt so good about what you contributed, or maybe even it wasn't a professional day, maybe it was a volunteer day, or maybe it was a day in the community, but but you just, I mean, it just, it was the greatest, best day ever. That is, those are sort of keys to, to, to things that um, you have underlying desires to, to pursue. Um, and then I say, you know, I, I ask women, um, if there were no barriers in the world, right? No, no money, no kids, no whatever, what would you want to do? Like, uh-huh. what would just, what would be something that you would just get up tomorrow and be like, oh my gosh, if I could just do this for the rest of my life, I would be happy. And I always knew, I always had um, that joy after teaching or speaking in front of people. I, it's always come naturally in front of me. I did a lot in my professional arena. I, I would be the person that would volunteer. Let me, let yes. me learn this and let me teach others. Yep. Um, and never thought that I could take that passion and have it develop into something I get paid for, which if you can take your passion and get paid, oh my gosh. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and, and, and there's another great book I love to recommend called the big leap. I don't know if you've read that one. No, I haven't. I'm going to write that down. But that is by Gay Hendricks. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Thank you. And that, that's a great book that talks about how to, um, he calls it your zone of genius. It's, it's your, it's where the flow happens. It's where time stands still and you're so happy and you're so involved with what you're doing. Um, that's your zone of genius. And that's where your ultimate life's work needs to get to be. Oh, that's cool. I like that perspective for sure. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that resource. You know, I love your questions. And I, and the first question that you asked, you know, what did you want to um, be when you were little? The first thing that popped into my mind, my family tells me this all the time. I always said I wanted to change the world. And now I'm now I'm I'm changing the world. Well, I'm trying, you know, doing my own little thing and my own little part, not to minimize, but I don't want to, you know, don't want to be whatever. Yeah, you're helping helping people. people. Yes, I'm definitely, definitely helping people. And so that's just, um, that's really interesting. I never thought about that until you worded it in that way. So thank you for that. That's really, that's fantastic. And I love the idea of thinking of like your last day that you were really, you know, really fulfilled too. What a great way to think of that. It, it sneaks up on us. I mean, our subconscious and our, and our heart will talk to us if we just listen a little bit. Yes. And oftentimes we're just too busy to, to wander through the day and get through all the to-dos. Um, and, you know, just start small. I started mine as a, as a hobby and a, and a, and a you know, side passion. Um, it, it doesn't have to be, you have to make this ginormous career change. Right. Um, but I think that if, you know, even just when I started the blog, 
um, it, and I was doing all the, the research and the, the um, information building to be able to, to share knowledge, it was just having such a positive effect on my day job because mm-hmm. I was growing myself. And right. um, then I was bringing that knowledge into my workplace and I was bringing that knowledge to people I work with and I was excited about it. And so, you know, anything that lights your heart on fire that you can share with other people and help um, help them find their their heart on fire passion. It's it just it's 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 magic when that happens. Absolutely, it's just a win for everyone involved, you know. <laughs> so sure. And I do say a lot of times too that you know, um, I don't. No, I know for sure. If if anyone would have told me that my life could be as good as it is now, I would have not believed that. Not that it's perfect. I mean, we literally are going through like a roof repair at our house right now. I mean, you know, it's not perfect. But if anyone could have told me once you find what you are truly passionate about, how good life could be, I would have been like, eh, I don't know that I believe that. But it's true. It really is true when you find those passions and you take steps. That's definitely an important part too. But take those steps to move towards that. Like how good things can really get and how fulfilled you can really feel in all aspects of life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I would even say that for me, it's um, helped me have strengths in um, relationships. Would you say that for you as well? Like the work that you've done? Oh, and- com- completely. Yes. It has made me, I have found joy and happiness. Um, I, I, I was a, a, a pretty much a, a workaholic. I love um, challenges and I love um, results. And so, uh, I'm one of those people that you have to be careful that I don't, um, take on 27 projects because I I do get stimulated by that, but making sure that I had that balance of what was filling my heart in addition to what was fulfilling, um, professionally, it it made all the difference in the world. And I can truly say my life is the best that it has ever been. I'm way happier than I was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, and, and definitely more fulfilled and really dreaming big, you know, um, what do you really want out of this world and out of your life and uh, taking those steps of small baby steps, but moving toward that will give you so much hope and, um, energy mm-hmm. to keep moving. It's just, you know, it's, it's sad to me when someone has a dream and they go, well, I was going to do this, or I was going to do that, but you know, I have little kids or I don't have time you know, yes, you, you do, you can make the time and you can begin to work toward those things because the more fulfilled you are, the more that your energy and your light and your fulfillment, um, affects your family Absolutely. and affects your, your workplace and your family. My husband and my daughters are like so much more, um, appreciative of, of who I bring to the table as a, as a mom and as a wife now, um, because I am so fulfilled. Yes. Absolutely. I think that's key to know that a lot of times I think, especially um, if we, if we do have a family, we feel, you know, some, some sense of guilt when we take that time to ourselves. But I think what is so important, I hope people really hear from your message is that, and when you do that, when you follow your dreams and you follow your passions, things, you can improve things and relationships in your life. And quite honestly, I would even say not that people have to work by any means, whatever it is, it could be, you know, you're a stay at home mom, you want to be the best stay at home mom you can be and then like rock on. I'm totally cool with that. But I do think that then when you have that knowledge that you want to do whatever it is that you want to do and you take those steps, you really do benefit your family much more than you would imagine. Well, your children are watching. Yes. So your kids are watching you if you are diminishing yourself and not going after what you want. Uh, and putting everyone else first, then they're going to, they're going to follow suit and do the same thing. So if you really want them to have their very best life, you need to role model that. And to your point, whatever that means, if you know, whatever lights your heart on fire. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. No, I love that. You know, um, I'm really curious about um, dreaming big because I dream big too. I mean, it, I've shared some of my big dreams on the podcast and, and some I still keep near to my heart as I move forward. But um, I'm curious your thoughts on that. You know, when you are a big dreamer and you're sur- if you're surrounded by people that aren't, I luckily I have some really great people in my life who are very big dreamers and a husband that just kind of rolls with it. But <laughs> <laughs> he's very supportive. He's like, sure, do whatever you want to do. Um, but you know, I think that that can be really hard for people. So how do you manage being a big dreamer, especially if you're not surrounded by other big dreamers? So in the course of my evolution, I have lost uh, people that were in my inner circle um, as I, as I grew and developed and not because they were bad people, but but they were at a different place in their life. And um, what I was doing made them a little uncomfortable. Um, They weren't ready and that's fine. But I think you have to be, I I heard someplace, um, it's kind of like a rocket ship as it launches up and it gets rid of the weight um, that sort of held it down to the earth uh, so that it can go a little bit farther. I think that you do have to to recognize um, that your environment shapes the way that you go after your dreams or your environment um, puts a damper on it. And if everyone around you, one of the exercises I do in the workshop day is I have women write down... um, or top five people that they spend the most time with. And we all know the Jim Rohn quote, but I, I literally have them write out, who do you see the most? And then I have them write next to each name. Now, does this per- person support you or does this person make you feel bad about what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And it really is an eye opener when you think about it. And of course, you know, if it's a family member, then those are conversations that you're going to need to have with a family member or a spouse. I'm lucky that my, my husband is basically like, like you know, you go, babe, yes. whatever you yes. want to do. I'm right here behind you. There's no limit. Um, and, and so, but I have, I have changed circles. I've moved circles. My circle has grown. Um, and I love to be in, I love to be in a room where I am the person who knows the absolute least. Mm -hmm. And I'm just surrounded by smart, um, you know, engaging, um, successful people that I can just soak up like a sponge and learn from them. I have zero jealousy. I just want to learn. Yes. Like I'm like, teach me. Yes. Um, because if you can do it, I can, everything is doable. I, yes. I, anything you put your mind to is doable. So, and then I then take whatever I've learned, you know, I have lots of people now asking me, you know, how do I write a book or how do I start speaking or how do I do what you've done? And I'm like, here, here's how I did it. You, here's how you can do it too. Because the more voices and the more people that we have in the world educating um, each other, the, the smarter we'll all be. Right. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. I do want to ask you about, um, about, you know, what are some steps in the speaking and, and writing career? And those are obviously two, you know, two different parts, but oftentimes, um, you know, go together. Um, one thing I want to mention too, for anyone listening, who's thinking, well, none of my family supports me. I don't know if you've noticed this, Angela, like maybe it's just me, but the majority of people that have found success in whatever they're wanting to do. So, I mean, any field, most of the time their family is not impressed with what they're doing and they're not really like super engaged with it. You know, there's a lot of times I think of, um, you know, Grey's Anatomy, Sean, to rhymes. Yes. So she wrote one of my favorite books of all time, The Year of Yes. It's absolutely fantastic. I've listened to it two times, which for me is actually once I'm done with the book, I'm done. But um, it's so good. And she talks about in there, like her family just does not care what she does. And not in a mean way, they're supportive of her, but it's not that they're super interested and invested. And so I think it's important to remember too, that, you know, like my husband as well, like I say, he just goes with it and he's supportive and that um, makes a huge difference, I do think. But like my sister, meh. 
she may probably never listen to this. She'll probably never hear this, you know, on the podcast. And that's okay because that's just not who she is. You know, she just isn't a podcast person. And I think accepting that too and looking for other people um, who maybe are more on the same page um, as you yes. and being able to still value what each person brings. Cause I still love my sister and value everything she brings to my life, but she's probably not going to be the person that I called to ask for an idea for the podcast just cause it's not her jam, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think also, um, you know, recognizing oftentimes the people that are closest around you, um, if they are trying to keep you, your, your, your dreams smaller, it's because they love you and they're scared for you. Yes. It's, it's not because they really want to hurt you. It's generally because they just don't want you to fail at something. Yes. Um, but, but in, you know, my, it's, it's hilarious. My mom is 89 and she's, um, she's still with us. And, uh-huh. you know, oftentimes she'll be like, okay, you know, are, are, are you sure you want to do all this? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, mom, it's good. Yes. And then, you know what, then she's my proudest cheerleader. She, yes. she tells everybody, my daughter, the author, my daughter, the oh. author. So, so I think, you know, just, just hearing what they have to say, reminding them that you're going to be okay, regardless of whatever, and then surrounding yourself, getting yourself, uh, exposed to other people who are in, in the same aligned thinking and are dreamers and doers as well, so that you can feed off that energy from each other. Yes. Fantastic. That's fantastic advice there. So can you tell us a little bit about, I don't know how you want to approach this, whether you want to talk about speaking and writing together or or separate, but what would be someone's first step if they have something they're passionate about that they want to share? So the way that I started, I actually started speaking internally within my company Mm -hmm. um, for different um, opportunities and and gained a lot of um, comfortability in that. And then the next step after that was doing, um, I I would submit an idea for a conference and and um, would would speak or at a poster, you know, unpaid speaking where, um, you know, someone that wanted information um, and I had expertise in the area and I would just just go and get that practice. And then um, as I evolved and began to develop my own content and began to develop my workshops, I offered those um, at places that um, like you could go for our area healthcare education center and get education. I um, met up with the director there and I said, here's my idea for a workshop day you know, it would be a pilot. Let's, let's, would you be willing to give me the space and we try it? Well, it sold out. So there we need proof of concept. Um, and so, and, and really my speaking opportunities initially came from the network of people that knew me and the people that knew that I was not only proficient at it, but that I was good at it. Yes. And then after you started to, to build some of that following, then you get people to give you, um, um, you know, acclamations, of how you did. Uh, you begin to get a speaker's reel. You begin to get videos of examples of, and I love to do the workshops. I love to do both. I think I love to do the workshops more. I love to do, be in a room of like 25 to 40 women yeah. and working through, I have a, um, a framework and a 21 days to a more empowered you workbook. And I love working through the exercises in real time, um, providing that coaching and having them all get the aha and share their own ideas of how they're going through that. I think that fills my bucket more than anything. Yes. Um, but I do love giving um, uh, talks on imposter syndrome and how you can combat it or confidence building. Um, it, it takes time. You know, right. I've been doing this. I started the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the blog almost five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I would say in the last 18 months uh, to two years is really when things have, have taken off for me. So you have to be willing to be patient. Right. You have to be willing to grow your own knowledge uh, to, to get exposure and experience. I've taken several courses on it. I've um, aligned myself with people who do it for a living. Yeah. I've invested money in getting better at it. 
you know, so it just depends on, on, on your ultimate goal. Right. Um, the book, I, um, I would say, I, you know, when I told my husband I was writing a book, he, he was like, what? <laughs> it's like, no. Um, it, so I would, with that, I would say is I took a course uh, and I was writing already yeah. and I had had journalism background initially, an English degree years and years ago. Cool. But um, I took a course called the Tribe Writers Course. I'm going to give Jeff Goins a, a shout out here, um, which was worth every dollar I paid for it. Uh-huh. It teaches you how to write a blog. Um, how to uh, grow an audience. It teaches you um, how to sort of outline your book and then you just have to write Uh and then you have to have an amazing editor. Uh Uh, I can't, the editing process is more work than the actual writing process um, to getting the story to to flow. And then you have beta readers. You have people that read it and go, Hey, this part's great. Or this part is stinky. You know, I need more, I need more here. Um, So the whole book writing piece really took about two years from start to finish a proof of concept. Um, it could have taken way less, but as an, as a first time author, it was now I know what to do. (laughs) Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, whenever anyone talks about like the editing portion of things, it just, um, Oh my gosh, it feels very daunting and overwhelming. And, um, you know, there's Jen Hatmaker. I don't know if you're familiar with who she is. She's, yep. you know, I love when she gives like glimpse of <laughs> what it's like for her when she edits things because it always comes out and it's just beautiful and it's eloquent. And in the moment, she's like, this isn't even what, like, my original copy is not what you get by any means. And so I, I have think- a. Oh, I have a photograph. My editor, um, she's a she's a visual person. She uh-huh. likes to print everything out on paper. So I have a little photograph um, of the the base copy of Woman on Top. And when you see this thing with like nine hundred <laughs> scribbles and scratches, and and tabs and and reference points of rewrite, rechange, and I love I've put that up on on Instagram before because it looks you know my book looks shiny, right? It looks yep. beautiful, it looks shiny. And so I love to put the juxtaposition between that rough draft and the finished book Yes, to show people there's a lot of work that goes into this. And it is not like I can do anything more magical than you can. Uh-huh. It's just like, you got to be willing to put the work in. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's the editing process was the learning, the learning curve for me. It took three times as long to edit as I thought it would. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I actually went to um, I don't know if you know the University of Iowa or not. They're um, pretty famous for their writing program. It's supposedly I don't know, but they say it's one of the best in the nation. And I actually went to um, a workshop there. And it was so fantastic to just get like a glimpse of of what the process is like and be able to like authors came in and talked and there were several people that were actually there for the workshop that had been published themselves. And just to get that really um, authentic experience of like, what is it like? And it sounds like it can be really amazing and really terrible all at the same time. I think it, I think it was one of the, like, if I have to do my top three, like moments of my life, uh, holding my finished book in my hands is definitely up there along with the births of my children. I have to be a good mom. Yeah. Yeah. We got (laughs) it. I love it. Don't forget about them. Don't forget about them. But yes, I love that. That's awesome, though. That's really great. Well, um, is it okay if I ask you as we wrap up here a few questions I ask everyone? Sure. Okay. So are you familiar with Brene Brown? Have you? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Love her. Love her. She's Love um, her. I am reading her Dare to Lead book right now, actually. And I, I don't necessarily, um, in the traditional sense of lead, I don't 
lead anyone, but I just thought, you know, what a great way to learn more information just about even just communication in general. So anyway, she has some really fantastic ideas as well. But um, this question actually comes from her book, you know, Braving the Wilderness. And it's about, it's that concept of really like walking out into the wilderness, taking that first step, not really knowing what to expect or how to go, being pretty terrified, but moving forward anyway, and um, really getting to know yourself and meeting people along the way that are there to support you. So I'm wondering, can you think of a time where you braved the wilderness? I think when I made the decision to take my hobby uh, to a professional level, and I um, I, I started my my LLC uh, <laughs> 12 months ago, and um, made the decision that to be an entrepreneur. I think that was the most scariest, but the most exciting time in my life. Um, and I felt very, very alone in the sense of owning it a hundred percent for me yes. and doing this a hundred percent for me. Um, and not really knowing what it was going to lead to, but knew that, um, by actually creating that company and the LLC that I was making and owning that decision of yes. the next direction of my life. And that, that definitely had to have been it for me. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, a scary moment, an amazing moment all wrapped into one, but yeah. So looking back, I'm always, I like to ask people this part of things now, like looking back, do you regret that decision at all to take that first step? No, I wish I'd done it sooner. Yes, that I swear that's what like everyone tells me, you know, that's what I like people to really hear is that that, that wilderness is terrifying. And I have to remind myself of that as well. Um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And there are things that come up or changes that happen. And they they seem sometimes like, oh, how am I going to get through this? Um, but at the same time, I just know that that braving that wilderness is worth it is absolutely worth it. And I don't know about you, but I would never go back to that point of not having done that, knowing how good life is now. You couldn't pay me money. No, and there's there's no failure I would ever take back because yes. every failure that I have had or every learning that I have had has has moved me to that next level, even as uncomfortable as it has been. Yes. Um. So you know, and again, I you know, I say I wish I would have done it sooner, but I probably wasn't ready. Right. And um, you know, when I was ready, I owned that I was ready, and now I'm going, you know, full force. So absolutely, yeah, for sure, absolutely, I love that, and I love that you bring up the mistakes because I think that's really important. I think back to one of the first episodes, actually the very first episode I recorded for the podcast something happened it was a dear friend of mine luckily but something happened and didn't record our entire our entire <laughs> interview and so I had to message her Amy I'm so sorry is there any way that we can redo this and she was so willing and quite honestly it's still one of the most listened to episodes because I really think that the message that she shared was what needed to be shared you know and it wasn't the same as the first time we didn't try to recreate it so sometimes you know failures actually end up a little bit better anyway but I think giving ourselves that grace through the process like that's just a part of it you learn and you move forward and um, quite honestly those failures, I think, you know, make us better. Oh, and I, I've never removed a, a single uh, blog post. I've left them yes. up for my very first one. It's pretty terrible that. if you go back and read it. <laughs> I think that, but you know, yes. it's, you got to start somewhere. Absolutely. You know, the other day I, um, I just needed some inspiration in my life. And so I, I was going to look up um, a conversation between Rachel Hollis and like Ed Milet. I think it was on his show. And so I, yep. I YouTubed good. it because um, I just wanted to watch like the video portion of it or whatever, you know, and um 
uh, something popped up from like I could tell it was like a long time ago from her and I was like I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna watch it like not to be rude she's fantastic now but like you know she even says like the, pr- the progress that you make you know not that it doesn't yeah. have value I want to be really clear her yeah. work still has value but if I could listen to her work then or listen to now I'm like I probably would pick now and I feel okay if people do that with the podcast too <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> you know it's just a part of it we, we all have a learning curve you know so sure we got to get through that for sure. So I'm wondering who sticks out in your mind as your biggest encourager. And it can be a few people if you need to. I had a leader um, many years ago when I was first uh, evolving into leadership role. Her name is Tina, who really was the person that sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, this is where you need to go. Um, ironically, she's also the person that sort of tapped me on the shoulder when I was just speaking within my, my company and my industry and said, this is where you need to go. Like you have, you have skills and abilities. So I still, we still circle back and, and then she, she's been a great mentor for me. Um, I have several that I admire that I don't know. Um, you know, Rachel Hollis is one, um, Mm -hmm. I've been a follower, follower of hers for many, many years. Um, and she definitely has, has encouraged and and led the way for me. Um, I think, um, Brene Brown is also someone, I mean, I think you can have mentors and role models that you don't know that, um, that can serve that, you know, what, if you can see it, you can believe that you can do it as well. Absolutely. So, so for me, those, those two women have, have definitely been important. I love that. I think that's a very, very valid point. And I would count them um, as two two women as well. And I still would throw Jen Hatmaker in there just because she is funny and she's loving life. And (laughs) that just helps you feel good too, you know? So yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing your encouragers. That's awesome. So I'm wondering if somebody wants to follow your journey, where can they find you on social media? Sure. Well, I am at, um, Instagram is kind of the place I love to hang out. So nice. it's at her one tribe, um, which is the name of my company. Um, my website is, uh, her one tribe.com. And then I have a, uh, her one tribe empowered women's Facebook group. If you're interested in joining, just go to the website. Um, and then there's a link to sign up and, and you can uh, join into the Facebook group where we just encourage each other and post happy, um, positive messages. And, um, you know, I jump in live occasionally in there with some teachings. Um, and yeah, and I'm on LinkedIn, um, as well, Angela Hosking on LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. And we will get all of that on our website too. Um, all those links as well. Sure. Are you okay if I do put that link for the Facebook group on there? Absolutely. That might make it a little bit easier for people to make sure they can find that. So awesome. So I will get that on there. And then, um, I was wondering too, you know, in case people are wanting to buy your book, if you could maybe send me like an Amazon link or what, however, you know, they would buy that, then I can put that on my post as well. So it's available on Amazon ebook and paperback and also, uh, Barnes and Noble. Okay. Um, so prime day today's prime day. Yes, it is. It is. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I enjoyed talking to it. Thank you for listening to Kelly and the encouragers podcast. For all things related to this episode, please go to www.kellysisson.com backslash podcast, where you can find transcript from today's show and links for today's guest. See you next week for another episode.